Hello and welcome to season three, episode seven of To The Studio. This week we have Jessie Mackinson on the podcast. Jessie was born in London in 1985, where she continues to live and work. Her work is darkly erotic and draws from influences including British folklore, stories of travellers, myths of pre-agricultural societies, 17th and 18th century erotica, Flemish kitchen scenes, science fiction, and early Renaissance altarpieces. Jessie readdresses a patriarchal past from a female perspective. Plucking themes and narratives from historical precedent, she creates a bold new context for the motifs she selects. Vivid colours describe tense, erotic scenes in which women are dangerous, active participants, not passive mission givers. Her characters practice rituals. They embrace, plot and conspire. They hold sexual power and disrupt expectations, inhabiting a universe that surprises, delights and tests its audience. Jessie studied her BA at Edinburgh College of Art before moving on to the drawing year at the Royal Drawing School in London. And after completing her time there, moved on to study at the Terps Banana Studio Programme, which is also based in London. Recent shows for Jessie include Something Vexes Thee at Francois de Bali in Los Angeles, Dangerous Pleasing at Lyles and King in New York, and Nobody Axed You To at Fabian Lang in Zurich. So our chat begins talking through Jessie's experiences of education, but then moves on to chatting through the various processes that are embedded in the studio practice and paintings, the importance of openness in the work, to her belief in divination. And also towards the end of the podcast, um, we talk through ideas about folklore. And I actually struggle to remember a podcast. So if you're interested, um, after listening to the episode, that podcast is called Tell Me a Story with Eddie Lenahan, where Eddie Lenahan shares Irish wisdom and stories from the past. So thank you for listening. Here's our chat. begin okay (laughs) um so i think for the benefit of our listeners we i should say that we were meant to have this conversation in jesse's studio um but it's a shared studio kind of complex and the artists next door um were drilling all day so we've managed to find um a kind of (laughs) i don't know what how would i describe it a secret um kind of empty warehouse space so sadly, we're not surrounded by the work, um, but we were kind of about half an hour ago. Um, so yeah, just to set the scene a bit. And I usually ask the artists to describe their studio, um, but maybe I could, I could still ask that, even though we're not there. Um, just, yeah, how would you describe, describe your studio? Um, well, my studio is in Camberwell, and it's... Uh it's self-contained. I, I don't share, but um, we everybody can kind of hear everyone else because the walls don't go up to the top. And um, it's uh, it's quite a nice studio. It's got some windows and some skylights, and uh, it's relatively tidy for an artist studio. I don't know how <laughs> else to say that. Really. Um, yeah, it's nice. I really enjoy being there. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Um, so I guess let's, I think let's begin and let's kind of bring us up to speed um, of how you came to be here. So where you grew up, 
how you found your way into the arts? Yeah, uh, well, I grew up about 10 minutes away from here in Camberwell, and um, I went to school in London as well, like near my house. And I then, I was always doing a lot of art stuff um, when I was younger, and uh, I used to paint a lot with my dad and stuff and ended up going to Camberwell on foundation and then to Edinburgh for three years doing drawing and painting and then graduated in um, 2007, which was quite a weird time to be a figurative painter. <laughs> it was a little, it was still like the hangover of the goldsmiths kind of scene, I suppose. You know, you had to really uh, justify why you were making paintings, mm -hmm. uh, which was like quite exhausting <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. Uh, so then I was like, like I don't know what I was doing, but trying to make paintings. Um, didn't know that many people who were painting. I was trying to get into the Royal College or the RA, and I couldn't. Um, so I ended up at the Royal Drawing School for a year, and that's. Uh, like the whole, the, like the simple idea of it is that you spend a year drawing uh, from observation. You don't really get taught how to draw, but you learn through looking. Mm. And I certainly learned there that you can, you'd have to draw things you didn't want to draw, like a street scene or something, which some people are like really good at, kind of getting a handle on moving people and buildings and but it kind of taught me that you can be selective and choose the things that belong in the world of your drawings or your mm. paintings. And so you, you don't have to include everything. And it that drawing from observation can be a kind of world building. And so I really value that from my time there. And they were very supportive of me. And so I won the Dennis and Mahon Award from there. So that enabled me when I still couldn't get into the RCA or the RA, <laughs> to pay to go to um, Terps Banana. Mm. And, um, and then I also had a show with them, with the award, which the, I sold some stuff, which helped me pay for the second year. Mm. So that was really like uh, helpful. Mm. And so yeah, I was at Terps for two years. And then Instagram, I think, changed a lot for figurative painters, I think, and helped everybody kind of link up and know what else was going on. Like, I feel like before then, maybe I knew about, like, Ryan Mosley and I can't even remember who else. But, you know, there was, like, a yeah. couple of figurative painters that everyone was, like, mm. crazy about. Mm. Um, and, yeah, I've, just, I've been very lucky since Terps to have started working with a few people, mm. which has helped me supported my practice yeah sure <laughs> yeah um so i guess let's let's stop through those places that you mentioned so edinburgh first of all um i know it might be a little bit difficult to remember um but what kind of drew you to studying there um and how was your experience at, at edinburgh obviously from from being growing up in camberwell and having your schooling here and then your um foundation um well i went up there with my friend Phil, who I met on foundation, and we moved out there together. We were trying to, we like messed up 
and should have gone to Glasgow, I think. But there's various, <laughs> various drunk incidents that stopped that happening. Um, so <laughs> uh, we end up in Edinburgh. What was it like? It was is so different from London that I found it a bit odd at first. Yeah. Um, and I didn't know if I wanted to stay. And that ended up like not really hanging out with people from the art school. Mm. I was hanging out with like loads of really old people for some reason. <laughs> and we just had a bit of a weird life there. So I can't, it was a bit of a like messed up time in my life to be mm. honest. So I don't think I really took advantage of it. Cause you yeah. know, when you do your MA, you're like ready yeah. and you're serious. Yeah. Whereas when you're younger, you're just a bit of a mess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what? Yeah, I think I wanted to get out. We wanted to get out of London. We yeah. thought it was important, like being from here and probably being pretty obnoxious kids. <laughs> like I thought we thought we should see the world, which I don't know, Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Where are you from? Me, I'm I'm from Gravesend. Okay. Um and I I did my foundation quite close. Yeah. Um but yeah, similar similar to you, I actually went somewhere for a year and messed that up and I actually reapplied uh, after realising what I kind of did and didn't want in, yeah. a, in, in a place of study. So, um, yeah, you're not alone. <laughs> you're not alone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and what was, the, what was the course? You said it was, it was kind of, it was, was, it, was it painting it's and drawing? drawing and painting. Okay. Um, but I think, you know, these courses, they just yeah. try to encapsulate stuff like mm. they had another course that was tapestry mm -hmm. which was which ended up i think being quite a good course because it was somewhere in between painting and sculpture mm. i mean i quite like specific courses like terps that it's just painting yeah um but at the same time it's quite good when there's this umbrella and you can use all the facilities and stuff like that mm. i mean i did an exchange to RISD in america and that was just incredible because you'd have your core classes and oh, then you wow. could like do the other, what they call modules or something yeah. in like anything. Oh, cool. And it was like linked with Brown University. So you could do all this like serious stuff. Mm. But I used to get a bit scared because they would um, like pick on the students to speak up about stuff oh. at Brown University. <laughs> and obviously I was just like, wow, this is so interesting, but I didn't know anything. So yeah. I just got scared of going, which is really pathetic. Really. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, I think that's an interesting, it's definitely an interesting way to study. And maybe that's, um, is that similar to how you kind of work now in that you've got your kind of, like jumping a bit forward now, but you've got your kind of core interests but offshoot, but you have all these offshoots that are kind of um, not an aside, but kind of your work will take you somewhere, and that will kind of suggest an area of research, or whatever. Then you'll kind of you kind of pick pick from from, from this kind of core core interest. There's kind of offshoots to different places. Is that kind of how? It, Do you mean making like different yeah. objects? Well, so now, so, so with your painting, there's obviously this kind of core interests, but then the offshooting is, you know, there's might be research into, I don't know, I know you've researched into kind of insect camouflage, for oh, instance, yeah. and things like that. Um, and so did that kind of way of learning, I guess, suit you, I guess, in that there's a, you're kind of on one course, but then offshooting from that, you can kind of bring things in. 
It was only really like about five years ago that I realised that my own interests were not separate from my art practice. Okay. And um, I wouldn't dare to say that everything I'm interested in is definitely in my paintings yeah, and sure. that other people could see it in there. But mm. for me, it's definitely bubbling around and is ha involved in how these paintings get made. Mm. I'm not really, I, you know, I'll think about insect mimicry but I'm not making a painting about insect yeah, mimicry yeah, yeah. but it, there's something there that's uh, I feel like talking about those things kind of adds to the painting mm. but the paintings aren't necessarily about them but come from these ideas yeah so. okay. yeah yeah um and was that um was that in between so was that while you're at Edinburgh was that a like a oh RISD yeah, yeah that was just like an exchange oh, okay for a cool. couple of months yeah okay um and then, so the Royal Drawing School, um, as a painter, how was your experience there? And um, kind of what was your relationship with drawing before you studied there? And maybe how did it, how did it change or did it change your relationship to drawing kind of from then on? Uh, well, my paintings before them were probably more related to drawing in that they were more linear. They were sort of tiny figures with a black line. Mm. And when you see them, you can see that there is this relationship um, and the drawing school works that you have to do a minimum of two classes a week okay. and but most people do like five but you also have this free studio but I ended up only doing two classes because I couldn't be taking all this information in and not like getting it out into paintings mm. and I think I was like so ready to have some input and help or encouragement you know like as an MA does, yeah. just that refresh with my painting that I was like in the studio quite a lot. And mainly I was doing life drawing and drawing at the National Gallery. Mm. And which is, drawing the National Gallery is um, like such a completely nuts thing to do. It's quite hard to force yourself to do it on your own. So it's, does, it's really helpful mm. if you're doing a class. Mm. Is that something that you've carried on since? Do you kind of work, as in drawing the National Gallery, are you drawing the paintings there as well as the I people? No, I wouldn't be drawing the people there. <laughs> <laughs> but people like to take photos of you drawing yeah. the paintings. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but no, I wouldn't do it now. It's, you really need to sit for a whole day and really look at something. Um, but I think it really that knowledge is still with me. Yes. And all the life drawing, the knowledge is still with me as well. Because mm. the crazy thing is, after a year of doing the drawing school, like, you can look at anything and draw it so confidently, really quickly. Yeah. Your hand is so trained and the muscles in it, it's just absolutely, it's like you're a, it's like you're a kind of like superhero drawer. It's like you've been, like, you know how people get trained up for being superheroes with personal trainers and the ropes and everything? Yeah. It's like that. That's a lovely way of thinking about it. You do lose it. Mm. You definitely lose it. Mm. It's the confidence. Yeah. The immediacy between your eye and hand. Mm. Um, and what role does drawing have in your kind of process now? You still draw a lot? Yeah, I draw like an awful lot. Um, I draw to, I'm drawing it like loads of different ways. So I draw, uh, I collect a lot of found images and I tend to do really quick sketches of them just to kind of uh, get
get the information I want from them because mm -hmm. I use the found images a lot for like figure arrangements and I also do drawings to kind of the very almost like what's the word that the surreal you know sleep or um the drawings like sleepwalking drawings what okay. they're called uh, as in the sing singular line things or automatic drawing automatic drawing yeah 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 so i try and do uh automatic drawing um kind of to try and surprise myself just to get whatever kind of buzz is going on onto a piece of paper so mm. to make something physical and then i'll look at those drawings and make drawings from them and so it's this just trying to constantly pull things out and change them and add mm. and so then i also do compositional drawings for my paintings but I also do an underdrawing on the surface of the canvases which when I'm making the paintings is this um, is a mix between all these different drawings and this underpainting which is a compositional device mm. which might sound a bit complicated <laughs> not being able to see um, <laughs> and then I'm I'm drawing for problem solving all the time and if before I make a painting I'm probably drawing the same thing like 15 times mm. uh, but it's it's not it's more like arranged than planned if I don't know I only know like the linear linear situation mm -hmm. like that there's three figures in a room I don't really know what they're doing okay if you see what I mean yeah yeah I do I do and was that um I know you mentioned Turks was that um was that a place where you kind of started to kind of cultivate all these things and started to kind of is that where th things came together for you in terms of this process that you're talking about yeah because it's it's well it's a champion's painting right and they don't really ask you to write very much this, no you don't so you're kind anything. of just you're just drawing and <laughs> drawing and painting yeah you don't have to write anything you're discouraged from talking about a career which is good and yeah. you are sort of it's completely nuts kind of experience and I think our year was like particularly manic. I was definitely involved with the kind of, I was making like one two meter painting a week, you know? Wow. And just, and all of us were like completely crazy. Um, I don't know if it was a bit competitive or just, we were all loved being there so much and you have so much tutor time and mm. so many visiting lecturers and a lot of the tutors are just kind of hanging around anyway. It feels like, very exciting especially when you've been kind of you don't know that many other painters and stuff yeah. like that um so when what happened when i was there um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think that was yeah i remember because there's you it, there may or may not be but i think at the time i considered there to be like a kind of house style to mm -hmm. terps which is maybe painterly in a sort of specific way which is loose looser brushwork mm -hmm. uh, obviously tight brushwork can be painted yeah. in some way but like um so i was always very anxious that i was making these tight paintings and mm. i'm quite an uptight person <laughs> i wanted to make these like crazy <laughs> i wanted to but pretend i wasn't um anyway so i started making this underpainting which i do with mixing uh, pigments with an acrylic dispersant, maybe three or four colours, and mm. it's with big brushes. I do a very intuitive abstract 
looks like a pattern mm. all over the surface. And then I wash it back with a thin wash of um, primer, so the colours are knocked back. Mm. And so it's this, it, it's like a kind of, I mean, I hate the word matrix, but it's a matrix of the mm. world. It helps me uh, place figures and hands and creates depth. And it's hard for me to make a paint, larger painting without it, actually. Mm. Um, and I think I started doing it because it was a way of having an active surface and a mess that was underneath my neat painting. Yeah. So it was like a way round the problem. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's like cheating somehow was problem solving. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, in terms of kind of making the paintings, you said that um, the figures are, um, you kind of, they're placed in the painting, but where where that compositionally where where they are or what they're doing or how they interact is is quite open um and obviously combined that that kind of openness combined with the openness of kind of a um a very kind of intuitive kind of patterned kind of abstracty kind of colored background um i guess with such an open investigative kind of process it kind of must be quite tough or i imagine it's for me anyway, it would be quite tough to to be continually kind of alert to changes or kind of in surface or suggestions of kind of a complex kind of multitude of forms which arrive. Um, so I guess what I'm angling at is kind of how much do you kind of research outside the studio and how much does that inform your decisions that you make in the work or are those decisions kind of reliant upon pure imagination or that kind of muscle memory that you were talking about earlier of um how do you work things out i think is the question yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. uh well like i mentioned before i do collect uh images yeah and they tend to be you know they can be from anywhere film tv instagram but when i specific those are things that like i see and save but then mm. when i am specifically like looking for imagery kind of go on archives like the VNA archive and um, archives with huge image banks I quite yeah. like the VNA because um, there's lots of objects and weird things mm. you don't have because I like historical images particularly drawings rather than photographs uh, maybe because some of the problem solving has been done or there's there's a remove from whatever it was um, because I could like try and get a bunch of people together and get them to pose and take some photos. Yeah. But I, find, I, I don't like really working from photos so much. So an example of images I might, like I was looking up street scenes the other day. Because mm -hmm. uh, uh, like in fantasy, for example, like I'm really interested in in between the action moments, particularly in film or TV. So like yeah. when they're at a market or in a bar, and it basically looks exactly the same, but just slightly sci-fi or something. Mm. Um, so I like looking at historical street scenes, but more recently has crept in um, images from the French Revolution because um, I'm quite into scenes when people are kind of not fiddling with each other, but like <laughs> <laughs> interacting with each other yeah. in, a, in a sort of not necessarily inside kind of way mm. so I'll, I've got images from the French Revolution Tudor bedroom scenes um, 
like Georgian parlor games or sailors on leave. Um, so like a lot of my, there's a, there's some repeating imagery, say like people sitting on each other's laps. Mm -hmm. And that came from images of like sailors in brothels or inns or whatever, mm. like from the 1700s. Um, and then, so I collect all of this stuff and, but sometimes I might find an idea in a painting. So someone might look like they're gardening or something and then mm. I'll go away and research like old images of gardening mm. or whatever. Uh, so it's, it can be come either way. Okay. And I'm misunderstanding these images as well by like often by removing the men or decentering them. Mm. It, um, sometimes it becomes like weirdly sexual or um, like, like the knee sitting thing, for example, it, there's like a weird power play with it. It's like friends do it, couples do it. It's like mm. who's the one in charge of the one on the lap or the one underneath the sitter or the city. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's just weird that it comes from like uh, sailors in a brothel as well. Um, yeah, so it's a bit all over the place, to be honest. Mm, mm. But there's a the, there's, there's strong sense of kind of story or theatre or or narrative and that's kind of left it's always it's always always left kind of open right yeah i definitely don't have uh, something specific i'm trying to say there's like <clears throat> things that there's things that where the imagery comes from and what i was thinking about if mm. someone doesn't get that i'm not too fast okay. uh, someone wrote recently something can't remember exactly in a review but it was like it was like I'd laid down tarot cards and it right, was okay. there to be kind of read, mm. you know. Mm. And I kind of like that because it's dealing with archetypes and whatever. Yeah. Um, and there's definitely stories that if you ask me, I'd tell you and ones that I wouldn't and sure. stuff like that. But I think I would say that I'm naturally okay with storytelling, so it's not what I'm focusing on. Mm. And my focus is like the interlocking shapes and the patterns and mm. that kind of... So I'm, like, I, I'll have drawn it, the whole thing out linearly, but mm. I'll be working on a tiny section yeah. that grows out. And I work so close up, it basically just has to work <laughs> by the end, you know? <laughs> and there's, like, very little editing that goes on at the end. Mm. So it's, it's like a sort of weird... Um, yeah, I heart, every section has to be finished as I move on. Okay. And do you, do you tend to like a book? Do you work from kind of one end to the other? Or, or are there pockets of kind of activity that you concentrate on and that kind of bleeds out into other things? Uh, yeah, I'll work from one section and it will, like a book, but it will just be random where it starts. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Because I think I, I would worry about trying to join sections up. I feel like they have to grow from each other. Yeah. And I'm... Yeah super concerned about like the uh the space and the figures and um because i don't use different palette for like the background as the figures so mm. it's all about this kind of patterning and differentiating because i used to look at a lot of um like persian miniatures mm. so i suppose that's quite a graphic way of working mm. um and then i consider that like negative spaces as much as i do a form yeah. so it's considered in a a triangle between someone's legs is painted mm. as if it's the legs yeah somehow yeah that makes sense 
Um, in terms of stories, do you read? Do you read a lot? Have you have you read? As a as a kid, did you enjoy stories and storytelling? Yeah, I did. Um, I don't. I, t- I listen to audiobooks now, which people don't really count as reading. <laughs> but I get a lot of, and I've absorbed a lot of books. Mm. And yeah, so definitely a lot of ideas from books come into the work. Mm. Um, oh, yeah, like, so recently, have you read The Vegetarian by Han Kang? I don't know if that's no, how it's No, I'll write that down. Uh, it's like a South Korean book. I think it was written in the 90s, but was like relatively recently translated. Mm. And um, like, I'm obviously interested in like ecofeminism and um, stuff. But this book, this the woman suddenly decides one day she's going to become a vegetarian, which actually she's a vegan. But um, and the whole book is told in three parts by people she knows, like her husband, her husband, her sister's husband, mm. and her sister. And so she's never actually telling her own story. It's always people quite confused by this decision that mm. she's made to become a vegetarian. And in the, she basically stops eating completely and wants to become a tree, wants to photosynthesize. And um, like there's a section in the part with her sister's husband where he becomes completely fascinated by her because she has this birthmark and paints her with flowers. And he wants to have sex with her, but she'll only have sex with him if he paints himself with flowers. And she gets really turned on that he's like some sort of plant. Mm. And obviously in my paintings already, I had these like, so I was like, yes, Uh, (laughs) the plants. But um, one of my newer paintings, I was thinking about um, like the idea of how to flirt with a tree. And so I have this uh, small painting, which has like one figure in and her skin is kind of made of flames, but they're not particularly convincing flames, so it also looks like, looks like her skin's kind of flayed, like peeled off. Mm. It's one of those little black ones. But she's got like a nymphish head because she has horns, so she's obviously like that like idea of a forest nymph, but she's made of fire. And then she's like snapping a twig, and so I feel like she's flirting with a tree with like, okay. you know... Uh, but then I called it petty hedonism because I thought like it's not that big a deal to snap a twig when you're flirting with a tree mm. so things like that come in yeah. more specific so it's not really about the book but no. that's what I was thinking about but indirectly yeah. things things will happen so I think it sounds as though things things all kind of thing, think, well it's very organic things, things, things can happen or things may things that may, might occur in the painting that will then make allow you to make a connection with something that you've seen or heard yeah. and then that those kind of fusions take place so in a sense it's not just one story or one kind of narrative it's many yeah well that's why i quite like folklore because it's a it doesn't have like a genre yeah. you know it can be it's like all the genres all at once and all these things kind of interlink and they're telling so many stories all at the same time mm. um yeah. You, you, you mentioned, um, I was reading a bit before our chat, you mentioned there's, there's an essay by, um, Erst, I'm going to say her name wrong. Uh, uh, Sheila Le, 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 Le Guin? I think it's Le Guin, but Le Guin. Like, I Le Guin. actually don't know. <laughs> yeah. and, but I felt that really interesting. So um, she describes the ability of a painting to hold many stories and likens it to a like, carrier bag. Yeah, she's actually talking about like literature. Okay. But it, 
makes sense with painting. Yeah. It's an essay that like loads of people have been quoting in press releases all over the place like the last few years. Mm. But um, yeah, it's called the Carrier Bag Theory of Fiction. Yeah, and she talks about like the uh, vessel, so the bag, something mm. to carry things, being like one of the earliest uh, revolutionary um, inventions. Uh, like we were talking earlier, wouldn't it be great to go? <laughs> go and meet someone who just invented fire yeah. you know it's the same like a bag it's not as dramatic <laughs> <laughs> but like it's really helpful you can plan for tomorrow if you're collecting mm. stuff you don't need to just collect food for today you can plan ahead mm. so it would have changed people's lives <laughs> <laughs> yeah totally. um, and she talks about like it would have most likely have been the women that were hunter gathering so it's like really related to you know ideas around because like the cave paintings and stuff are all men with spears hunting bisons and stuff and it's very like those stories are more exciting and more dramatic and those are the stories we've heard so she talks about the kind of the carrier bag as this feminine vessel to hold loads of different stories that you might not have heard before mm. and contradictory things that somehow like in a book um, and I think in a painting you can have these multiple stories kind yeah of, yeah um, being held in there um, yeah it's a pretty great essay yeah super interesting yeah <laughs> um, I, I, you also mentioned that um, this, I think I think you did if I'm remembering that kind of the mythology and sci-fi you mentioned a bit before I'm wondering um, if kind of myth and sci-fi whether they're whether they're kind of on, on their own or whether they kind of combine or cross over for you. But I'm wondering kind of what roles like the myth or mythology and sci-fi play in, in the work for you. Uh, well, I use sci-fi as like a shorthand for really fantasy and speculative fiction. Mm -hmm. I do like some sci-fi, which is like science-y, but I'm not, I don't need you to explain it. I don't need like some weird explanation about how the spaceship is working because you know. <laughs> some people really need that in their sci-fi mm. um, so I suppose I just like the room that fantasy and sci-fi has for telling untold stories or um, or even telling the stories of now but in a different way but um, I'm not crazy interested in mythology because I think I don't actually know all the stories as much as people are like, oh, it, because, well, before I was making paintings more and forest scenes and you would have a woman with a bow and arrow and it, like, that's immediately suggesting paintings that were made with mythological subjects. And for me, I'm, I don't know all those stories that well. It's mm. not something that I'm looking at as much as, like, folklore or science fiction. Um, but I do think it's interesting, like, um, yeah, there's this really great book called, oh, what's it? It's something like from, you, my friend Louis told me about, it's from UFOs to, or from, it, anyway, it's by Jacques Vallée, mm -hmm. and it's, um, it's like from Magonia, UFOs or something. Anyway, it links fairy sightings with UFO um, sightings and like all over the world there were people getting abducted by fairies or having visitations like for centuries and then mm. after the moon landings everyone was not, it wasn't fairies anymore, it was UFOs and that, you know, it's a bit of a 
dodgy link but it's also kind of interesting yeah. <laughs> um, and then yeah I suppose I'm interested my paintings are kind of look a bit like past or features you know yeah 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 and I think the titles the titles kind of play with that as well a bit don't they they kind of um I mean, I've written a few, a few down so I can remember. So, nobody axed you or something vexes thee. Stay here while I get a curse. <laughs> so there's kind of... <laughs> yeah, and those ones particularly are like, probably because I've been listening to like weird fancy stuff. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I do quite like um, like swear words that are fantasy swear words and stuff. But mm. I think that's too like cringy to really put in titles. But um, yeah, I think... Yeah, something vexes thee comes from uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, with the like, the old witch is getting really upset. No, I mean, Robin Hood, Robin Hood's been pissing off the Sheriff of Nottingham, and he goes and sees the witch, and she gets really, she's like, why are you slamming stuff around? What's wrong with you? But it's like, something vexes thee. So I quite like titles to be questions. And I don't like, I like titles to, adds to the painting like another layer of narrative rather than describe the painting yeah but they have to have some kind of intuitive connection i don't mm. like if they're too random yeah it's the kind of speculative is that is that the right word yeah i suppose it's like they're like a little clue or a, mm. um i suppose i'd never know how other people take them so um but again it's, it's, it's an opening up of, of something rather than a, yeah a, a, like a, a directive yeah. Kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. Um, what do you think interests you in fantasy? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the costumes, uh, <laughs> even though I read books, but uh, I don't know. Um, I can't stand that every day, really. Like, I just, mm. unless it's like something like Euphoria that's really fantastical in itself, you know, it's such high drama and mm. visual and colour, it's just like super stylized and dramatic. Um, I just think it's more fun mm. and I've just always been interested in, I've always as a kid reading fantasy and stuff mm. and so it was quite like a turning point, like I said, for me when I realised I could involve that in my work in mm. some way. Mm. Um, yeah, I suppose I like the escapism of it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, kind of moving on to a, a practical question, really. How is your? How do you decide on your palette? Um, I and mean, what informs, or does anything inform those choices? Is it, or is it intuitive? Um, well, I'll decide things like I want to make a beige painting, and then I'll try really hard, and then it will be purple <laughs> and green, and I can't ever seem to get calm the colours down. Mm. I don't know if that's because of the the way everything needs to stand out from each other, that yeah. you do need something jarring. Because um, some people think the colours are great and some people think they're absolutely gross. But <laughs> I can see, like, both sides. Yeah. Like, they're a bit awkward and, like... There are, well, they're kind of, they are fantastical, aren't they? They're kind of otherworldly. There's, like, a... But lots of people's paintings are colourful, though, you know? Most totally. Are, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But... Um, but they, I, I guess they, they're not directly rooted in something particular. You couldn't say that is, that, is a, that is from a hill in France or... Yeah, no, I mean, I might see something like, uh, 
another painting in the past and have tried to mm. but like I do keep currently I keep trying to make beige paintings I just thought it would look really cool if like they were all really muted yeah um, but then I don't want all the figures to look beige and so I don't know um, but normally I'll finish a painting and then I'll want to change the palette because I'll be so bored of the colours okay. and sometimes I'll be because like lots of the paintings I like are really muted like other people's paintings mm. um, like dark or don't have that many colours I just think that's like much more sophisticated <laughs> than 20 million colours <laughs> that you know you, <laughs> you've just got your ways haven't you yeah 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 they'll get you <laughs> um Okay, so your figures, the figures in the painting, they tend to lean towards the feminine, or femininity in, in one way or another. And I wondered how, how important that is to you. I think you touched on it earlier in terms of maybe the power play or the, or the reduction of that kind of power play. Um, but maybe I could, could you say a little bit more, maybe say a little bit more about that? About that? Uh, well, I, you know, 10 years ago, I was painting tiny figures and mm. there was like a lot more men. And then when I started to make them bigger, uh, I just suddenly wasn't very interested in making the men bigger. It didn't feel like that um, relevant to me at the time. And uh, I remember at Terps, one of the tutors was like, I'd painted all these women. And he was like, oh, well, it begs the question, where are all the men? And, you know, I just, I, st I find that quite funny. I wasn't yeah. insulted, to be honest. I mean, I feel like you could only get asked that at Terps, maybe. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I just thought, well, if someone's asking that question, then maybe that's a reason. Mm. And I suppose there's been people doing it for years, like Lisa Yuskovage, is that how you say her name? You know, there's been lots of people doing it, but it was definitely around a time when like loads of people started painting only women, you mm -hmm. know. Um, and I suppose, uh, yeah, I, I came to that myself. Mm. Um, and so now the f I, I am moving away from it slightly because I don't want the paintings to only be about uh, my identity and um, women's bodies and I, Quite, the, the work still is about that, but I'm kind of broadening it out a bit. So sometimes the figures are more androgynous, sometimes they're more masculine. They're mainly women, mm. and I do that to kind of decenter the men, mm. and to so that the, the the paintings and the narratives aren't automatically about the relationship between men and women, which often happens if you just immediately yeah. see something, you start going down mm. those paths. So if you take it out, it sort of shifts the stories a little bit mm. and I also want the figures to be a bit anthropomorphic or half animal so I'm really interested in um, them having this flexibility mm. with each other with space and with animals and I suppose uh, so I'll try and do things like there'll be a pattern on one of the figures skin and then it will become like the curtain or the wall and mm. so there's you have pattern jumping across different forms and surfaces so there's this flexibility and um, I something I'm thinking about which I don't know if I've succeed um, you know it's early days 
and sounds nonsense, I'm trying to decenter the human as well, okay. which is nuts because I'm painting loads of humans and there's mm. hardly anything else in the paintings. Mm. Um, just so that, you know, thinking about futures a bit more, you know. Mm. Mm. Oh, nice. And then I, I really wanted to ask you as well, talking about sort of things morphing into one into the human form, into the animal form, and, or things kind of on, on the crux of being one thing or another or coming into being. And it's also kind of tied in with the palette and this kind of, um, like, sometimes acidic or sometimes kind of, like, um, kind of ethereal or kind of, yeah. Um, it's a very long way of asking you, do you believe in magic? Um... <laughs> <laughs> I don't, you know, I'm interested in things like magic because, and I'm excited to talk about things like magic or uh, divination or fairies or goblins. I don't, I don't think you have to believe in these things to, yeah. in order to have like a fun conversation about them. Yeah. And uh, I do believe in divination. I'll say that I do do the I Ching. And every time I do it, you get like, have you ever done it? No. Can you... It's nuts. It's so nuts. Every time you ask a question, you can't ask a yes or no question. Okay. And you throw these coins and you get, draw a diagram and there's okay. a book. And it's like, seriously old Confucian Chinese book. Mm. I'm going to say it's 3,000 years old, but that sounds unrealistic. Um, <laughs> but I think it might be. Oh, no, maybe it's not unrealistic. It's so old. Mm. And it, again, works with archetypes. But... I'm interested in the idea that you can... It's the same with gambling. You're asking chance. You're asking for a response. Mm. And you kind of get it. Mm. And, like, for example, I once was working on a show and I didn't... I was stressing out and didn't know what to do. You know, when you've not got a single painting ready. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no backup in the studio or anything. I was like, oh, well, what should I do for this show? And the answer was something like... Stop trying to rush to the end. If you keep jumping all over the jumping over these rivers too fast, you'll get your tail wet. And I was like, Oh my god, you're right. <laughs> and obviously, I love that it mentioned a tail. Tail, I know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So <laughs> like, yes, stop worrying about the end. It's so true. But you always get this absolutely bizarre, accurate answer. And it's not like tarot mm. reading your own tarot where okay. you're. Um, I mean, I consider the tarot as you're sort of holding up a mirror to yourself to reveal things that you mm. know already and to help you make a decision. Because mm. sometimes it's like sometimes you ask someone's advice and they tell you what you don't want to hear and it just makes the decision for you, you know? Yeah. It's like a sort of mirror. Great. Uh, so I, do, I don't know if I believe in magic. Do you? <laughs> I mean, art is a bit magic, <sighs> but that's also really pretentious and ridiculous. I'm interested in the potential of magic, I think, yeah. I think painting is a fantastic way of creating magic yeah. in a way. And I think, yeah, in, in a way, I guess, if you wanted to frame the artist as a, as a magician, I think you could, probably. Yeah, Alan Moore does, doesn't he? Mm. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm definitely interested in, in that. And also the something from nothing, yeah. you know, is... It's not like as fast as a rabbit out of a hat, but it's still... Um... Yeah, it's, it's, but it is taking... But people talk about magic, about taking things and mm. shifting their form mm. and making something new, don't mm. they? Yeah, yeah. And also, there's, there's things that potentially we can't see, so we all kind of think of the magician as, you know, a, a man or a woman in a hat 
you know, pulling things out their sleeve or, yeah, pulling a rabbit out of a hat. But actually, um, I guess, as you know, like, because I deep rooted in like folklore and kind of fairies and things that are kind of happening kind of maybe outside of our comprehension or things that we can't see um, or things that, yeah, things we might not be able to comprehend. And kind of those ideas, I think, excite me for sure. The potential of those, of those things to be, regardless of whether they are or not, I think is... Yeah. There's a great podcast. Have you heard of Weird Studies? No. It's so good. It's, it's all about the weird, but not in like a sort of cringy way, but mm. just discussing like weird things that happen, like sleep paralysis mm. or wrestling or Marcel Duchamp or there is a bit on Alistair Crowley. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, yeah. Um, but, you know, or like video gaming or uh, Dungeon Dragons, that you have these experiences. You mm. can't just like be like, that's just a game that's just yeah. a dream like mm. it's such a cop-out like you can talk about it it is more than that mm. and it that you don't have to believe in anything in order to talk about no. it and have great ideas and conversations totally there's a podcast i really i wish i could remember their their name but it's kind of it's irish irish folklore and this man oh god i can't i really should remember um, I'll put it in the notes on the podcast and I'll mention it in, in the intro, hopefully, if I remember. Um, but yeah, he, he, he recounts, so his, I think his, most of his life has been dedicated to speaking to people about their kind of experiences with, with, with magic and yeah. kind of the, the stories that he has and the way he retells them. It's very difficult to... Yeah. <laughs> to like think that can't you know there's 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 got to be some you know you listen to them there's got to be some truth in that um well it's funny isn't it because they t you, when you get down to like called. the tiny like molecular you know when they have those big machines and they're doing things on that exploding atoms like i don't know what i'm talking about right now but like <laughs> you'll get the gist but mm. they they have all these predictions but when it comes to it that they never they can't actually predict anything at that tiny molecular level. Mm -hmm. And that chance and chaos is so... But that's why I like Pan and Loki and these characters mm. and elves, you know, they've got... There's nature is this other... It's not good or bad. Mm. And it's slightly mischievous. Yeah. Um, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. It's like an encounter with something not rational. Yeah, totally. And I think we... Um, as a as a race, well, I think we can be. Um, you can think that we know that we know so much, and that we're kind of we're all seeing and all knowing. But um, I think something that excited me when I was studying years ago was that I just I was reading about kind of dark matter, and that it makes up something like ninety seven percent of our universe, our ever expanding universe, and the f and we but we still haven't really come close to its understanding what that is. And so 97% of our reality is something that we don't know, then how can we just really discount anything? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I'm getting so in, into, like, starting to read about kind of post-humanist kind of ideas yeah. and how we can, like, face these huge problems that we've caused. Mm. And I suppose it's, it's not anti-enlightenment and rationality at all, but it's like, let's try and consider other ways of non-Western ways mm. of thinking and yeah. like mm. you know what a bird knows is ridiculous yeah <laughs> yeah to yeah totally totally um 
And I think in, in some ways, that's one incredible thing I find in painting is that it, it's, it's a vehicle to possibly find, find those things, kind of reaching out into this kind of unknown space. Yeah. Um, but yeah, exciting. <laughs> um, how do you I think, I think the, the last question I'll ask because um, if we, we were in your studio and I, I know you're saying you're preparing for a show it's all, it's all leaving it's all leaving the studio right uh, yeah it's actually to various bits and an art fair oh, okay. art Basel Hong Kong with uh, Francois Gabali mm -hmm. and then I think there's something going in Freeze New York mm. um, and then after that I'm going to start working on a show with Francois Gabali as well. Cool. Mm -hmm. um, how do you prepare for fairs and shows? Is it um, is it similar to your kind of the open process of making a painting in that the show will become something through through the making, or is there like a preconceived kind of direction for the work? Um, I mean, I definitely find it easier working for a show because I think you can hold the it, there's room for different ideas mm. or. And I haven't done that many fair things, so... But a solo fair presentation feels... Maybe I'm wrong, but I, I feel... It feels different. It feels like it needs to really make sense together. Mm -hmm. So it's been something that's quite hard for me to get my head around. Yeah. Because I feel like they need to... Because I can't plan out five paintings. I make one and then get an idea for another one. So, I mean, I probably just need to relax and not worry about it, but... Um, it has a different feeling. You know, a show can... A show's more fun. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 I guess in, in terms of the context, it's not, it's not just you, is it? It's... You, you're in, in amongst... Yeah. You know, masses of other things, so... Yeah. OK. Yeah, I don't... I don't... Oh, so how do I prepare? Yeah. I don't know, a lot of breakdowns. <laughs> <laughs> do you do you have um, is it simple things like do you have like size of work already in your mind or yeah I kind of have I know my sizes and okay. I work big to small so okay. for shipping reasons as well so mm -hmm. that smaller things can be wet if necessary okay. um, and um, also there's a sense of security having the bigger work done yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. and so the smaller things end up being more fun because there's much less pressure mm -hmm. and so, like my big diptychs are taking two months to make now which wow. is really hard to keep the energy um going yeah <laughs> yeah how, how when you when you come up against those problems in painting I'll say those problems there's yeah there's <laughs> many problems. there's so many <laughs> yeah um but are there ways that you get around that like problems are there things that you do drawing i suppose okay. uh what problems do I have? Um, well, the worst problem is indecisiveness, changing, like, not trusting anything you're doing. Yeah. So I suppose it's like, I just tell myself to shut up and kind of try and trust myself and get on with it rather than second guessing. I mean, in high pressure situations, you're second guessing a lot more, so. Yeah. Um, and. I've had some tight deadlines where there's been no room for like mistakes. Mm. So, how do you deal with that? I don't know. <laughs> I just do. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure I do deal with it. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs>
No, I, I just ask because I, I know some people just they'll they'll sweep their studio. So oh. someone or they'll they'll just they'll sweep or they'll there'll be a, a spot that they go to and read or they'll watch some I don't know reruns of Seinfeld or something. Oh, in the evening I have to lie down and watch really bad TV. <laughs> I'm not really see that. If I'm doing a big painting, I'm yeah. trying to just focus, mm. and get distracted. But then sometimes you have to go and get really drunk and yeah. make yourself feel bad <laughs> so that you don't feel as bad about the painting. You yeah. know? <laughs> just like really embarrass yourself and <laughs> feel horrible. <laughs> uh, or I don't know. You just gotta change your attitude, don't you? Yeah. Whatever it takes. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. It's something's got something's got to shift. Yeah. Something's got to shift. Okay. I just tell myself to shut the fuck up. I suppose. <laughs> well, on that note, I'll I'll move. <laughs> I'll, I'll move to the last two questions. Okay. Um, so the questions I ask everybody, um, and I'll just go for it. So the first one is, um, if you could swap seats with me, and you could visit anyone in history, um, who would you like to visit and what would you want to ask them? Yeah, I was saying, we were speaking about this earlier, I was saying <laughs> it's like so hard, but I think, yeah, I think I'd like to meet, uh, like, yeah, someone from a long time ago, like pre, you know, maybe a druid or something, somebody who has a different way of understanding the world. Um, obviously there are people in the world who have different understandings to mine, but I suppose I would love to meet a druid. Like, you hear all these stories, like, about... Sorry, I'm saying like so much. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I was reading something the other day about mistletoe and how uh, there's all these stories around mistletoe and the druids would, like... I've done it again. Um, <laughs> would cut only cut it down with, like... Oh, <laughs> only cut it down with a golden scythe and would catch it in a blanket and oh because because it grows off an oak tree it never grows in the ground it's this sort of weird parasitic okay. plant but that doesn't kill its host and it's really special because it blooms around the time of the winter solstice mm. but the idea that you catch it in a blanket so it would never touch the ground I think is really interesting mm. so I've been thinking of my paintings about um figures that never touch the ground well like oh, how would they be yeah and there's also nordic things with loki using mistletoe and uh yeah there's just so many stories about mm. it so i'd like to go and get some of the real stories because lots of that stuff you only know from the romans and it's all riddled with yeah their mythology mm. oh that'd be awesome that'd yeah. be so cool <laughs> um and the last question is um has there been a bit of advice or something that somebody has said to you ever that's carried through in the work or that you kind of remember? Um, I think I think Humphrey Ocean said to us once at the drawing school that you can just do what you want and it's such a hard thing to remember and sometimes you're never really just doing what you want and it's a really hard thing to do. Mm. But that's something I'll try and tell myself when I'm struggling with stuff, so just do what you want. Yeah. But it, it's actually a really hard thing to do. Mm. I guess, because I guess in a way, you're kind of, you're always relearning, relearning that, and kind of re, yeah, relearning what you actually want. And you're stuck in the kind of, you've problem solved so many things mm. that become like a tool yeah. when you're stuck. 
that you can resort to these things really easily. Mm -hmm. um, so it's hard to do what you want in a fresh way, I think. Mm -hmm. um, but I think about that, I suppose, a lot. Yeah. And yeah. that, like, your friends are kind of important, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. Big up, big up friends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, is there anything, so to, to finish off, is there anything that you'd like to let anyone know about? Um, you mentioned you've got like, shows and fairs and things. Um, Have you got dates for those? Or I, I'm not sure when they are, actually, because <laughs> okay. they were moved, but that, no one can go to Hong Kong unless they're in Hong Kong, I think. Okay. And I'm not sure when Freeze New York is. But I will have something in London. Um, I'm a group show at Simon Lee in July. Oh, right. okay. So if anyone's in London, come to that. Okay, cool. Great. But thank you so much, David. That's all right. Thank you. A shame we couldn't be well, we were in the studio for a bit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I, I wish I could kind of take a photo and kind of sh share. I wish, I wish there was a video of us in this space. Yeah, it looks like someone's going to get murdered in here. <laughs> it's definitely a place where one might hold a hostage. <laughs> um, okay, well, thank you, Jesse. That was really, really great. Thank you for giving me your time. Thanks, David. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Well, thank you very much for listening. Please find more information about what was discussed in the podcast in the notes section. And if you like what you heard and would like to keep up to date with new episodes, um, then please subscribe or follow us depending on which listening platform you use. And head over to our Instagram page, at to the studio, which we regularly update with posts about each guest we have and all other goings on as well. To the studio is produced by the audio wizard, an all-round great guy that is Theo Bird, and I would thoroughly recommend getting in touch with him for all your audio needs. On Instagram, he is Bird Person. Bird is spelled B-Y-R-D Person. Also, if you can spare a moment to leave us a lovely review, that would help us out a lot and it allows us to reach a few more ears than we are currently. And lastly, if you've got any suggestions or opinions you wish to share with us, then please feel free to do so on any of our social media platforms or send us over an email. Our details are again in um, the notes section uh, of each episode of the podcast. Well, thanks very much again for listening and we'll see you next time. <laughs>